You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. And this is another episode recorded live from the Gilded Balloon during the Edinburgh Festival 2013. This is the charming and very passionately engaged Andrew Maxwell. Hey, hey, Stuart! Hey, man! Yeah! Oh, yay. <laughs> yay! Even Jesus had more followers than this. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Well, you, Jesus, I, we've got more digital followers than Jesus. That's not a thing you can say, is it? That's not. That's that's not quite right. Mm. But um, this is this. Let me com- just hold the microphone like I've been told, like this. Good lad. Good. Thank you. And <laughs> it's so weird to use a mic in front of this few many people. <laughs> few many. Yeah. Few many. One of uh, me things... speaking good English. I've just woken up from a nap, ladies and gentlemen, which means I'm confused. And Randy, don't look at me like that. No, Stuart. that's fine. Do you know what? This, this, I think this is that's something. And a few other comics that I've had on the show so far have said is that they've just woken up from a nap. I think I've pitched this so just when people are feeling oh, vulnerable and just... able to expose themselves on account of being a little bit sweepy. Yeah. That's well, there the is that. Well, I'm happy to expose myself to you anyway, Stuart. Would you? Well, I'm, that's probably already happened, hasn't it? I, I'd imagine so. I'm in just so, a, some sort of capacity. Yeah. One way or another. So, um, Look at us, like a two elderly Cuban uh, emigre somewhere in a park in Miami bickering over a chessboard that Ma- doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. And I only got four of those words. Um, <laughs> I only said four of them properly, <laughs> so that's not bad. No socks. I'm fucking out of socks. You're not wearing socks? I've got no fucking Aren't socks. Aren't you going to get left. blisters? I guess, probably. One of oh. the many outcomes of, of this lack of socks. I brought loads, but they're all fucking gone. <laughs> and this it's is a good. minimalist flat. It's hard to lose a sock. <laughs> but I can't find enough socks. There's nowhere near here to buy a sock either. Is there not? No. Think. And there's, there's a pause now in the recording while I think of uh, places you could buy. No, they're all down on the other one. No socks. Thinking about socks. Think where? 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 Nicholson Street? Where in Nicholson Street? Pound shop? Maybe a pound shop. No, bad sock. Ah, okay. So what you're saying is it's your high standards for socks that have actually socked. Oh, God. Listen, I won't wear a sock that hasn't come in at least a... A, a set of seven. <laughs> that, that's the mark of quality. That is. Good work. So, listen, let's talk, let's start by talking about your show at the moment, Banana Kingdom. Yes. Which I saw a couple of nights ago, which I enjoyed very much. How are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it. It's, I was, I'm more surprised at how much I'm enjoying performing in a tent. 
Okay. Is that the first time you've been inside the uh, the yeah, other belly? I've done one night, you know, here and there, but not night after night in a tent. Mm. You know, which is how I thought it would be. Like, ah, oh, night after night in a tent. Whereas, in fact, it's more like, eh, it's a tent. Okay. Which I'm pleased with. Excellent. And what, is the, what about the show itself? What about the content of the show? Where, where in the life of this show it is, uh, is this moment? Is it like, is this a new show that you've just started performing for Edinburgh? Is it going on tour after? What's, what, well, where it's always it? for Edinburgh. Like, you know, for me, you know, the Edinburgh Festival is like exams for clowns, you know. Mm-hmm. It just gives you a punchline in your year, you know, a deadline, I should say. You know, it gives you a reason you have to write new stuff. Sure. I mean, there's nothing worse. Like, it just... Jokes are weird. Like, even if it's not... There's nothing... No topicality to a joke. Yeah? It could be something about the, the, the way dogs do something or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be one of your best gags. But with time, it just becomes a little shopworn. You slightly lose the luster, the magic to the gag. Mm-hmm. You know? And you can see that with people who don't uh, put themselves through the, this process of the Edinburgh Festival. Or they don't have another, you know, reason to keep turning over their material sure stuff that with time once was absolute gold bankers just mm. how long does it take and you? Not that you don't nobody wants to get there no absolutely no and yeah. we're all familiar with actors who, yeah, yeah. who have we've been doing the same with... brilliant stuff for years and years and years and you go, uh, yeah you know and then there's age as well like you know we're, we're stuff whereas you know there, there's certain ways of of talking about i think particularly a male comedian of talking about his relationships with women, you mm-hmm. know? Okay. It's It can be cheeky in your 20s. But sure. if you're saying the same sort of, you're even using the terms like, you know, when you're out on a date, fucker, you're in your 40s. Yeah, right. You, you just look sad. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be on a date. You should be meeting people through a friend. I was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it's, how it's done. Yeah, absolutely. You guys who were like, oh, this has always worked and he's still plowing away sure. at this particular routine. I was, with time, you go... <laughs> I was very guilty of that. Uh, I was very guilty of that recently myself. I was doing some street shows in Adelaide and, uh, you know, I used to be a street performer and I haven't done it for a long time. Male prostitute. I did. Hey. <laughs> I did say street, not strip. That's a, yeah, it's a frequent yes, misunderstanding. Yes, I, that, yeah. um, I did some shows in Adelaide, and uh, what it, it, I, I couldn't remember my bottling speech. The, the, the speech you used to ask for money at the end of the show, and uh, and so I sort of fell back into a version from a long time ago. And I said something like, "Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not a student. I'm not on the dole." And I went, "It's been a hell of a long time since I was a student, and no one says dole anymore." So yeah, that's yeah, like really, yeah, exactly. really awkward. But What's so it called a bottling speech. Bottling, yeah, yeah. Well, why? Do you know? Uh, I, do, I do. We can go into the etymology of it briefly if you promise to get back to the point afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I would have thought it was more like a bucket speech. Uh, yeah, we don't. Well, it, it's a hatting speech. The process is called either hatting because uh, you got to got a hat, you put hat. the money in, yeah. and bottling. I think the original origin of a bottler, and it is contested, is that when you used to like in you know in kind of origin of Punch and Judy, like Samuel Pepys's time, right, right. The, the person that was sent round to uh, collect the money round the back of the show would have to ho- catch a fly in a bottle with one hand so that they'd, they'd hold it in so they couldn't be taking money out. They'd, uh, they, they would immobilize one hand. Oh. So hence it's called bottling. Wow. That's Whether what, that's true or not, I don't know. That's why I found out about, you know, when products are 99 pence, yeah. anything with 99, that is to stop, uh, That's it's partly a psychological thing, as we know. To, sure, oh, make, it, make it seem cheaper. But yeah. it's actually, it's more important, it's with the invention of the, the till, yeah. to stop your staff stealing off you. Is it really? Because then with every transaction, the till has to be opened and then it's recorded. Okay. Give the penny back. So the people in the pound shop are laughing. Yeah. 
Amazing. Either that or Rife thieves. with crime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you... Well, let, let's talk about this because you seem to have an interest, as I do, in the minutiae of life. You like interesting facts. You, yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm, in, I'm interested. Yeah. Well, that's it. That, I think that's a really good starting point for you. You are interested. You're engaged with the world. And a lot of your material really reflects that because you're one of those people who I think of as an adventure comic. Like you go out and have adventures. You, you know, you've organized a, a comedy festival in the French Alps. You've, uh, you know, you've done gigs in prison. You did this, this gig on one night in, on the Shankill Road and the Falls Road. Um, of which there's a whole DVD that I've watched. It was an incredible experience. We can talk about that yeah, a scary. bit more, but. What is it that drives you to go out and have these adventures and turn those into comedy? Which way round does it happen? Do you think I need some material? I better do some things. Well, it's not. It's 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 more that you know. If you weren't a comedian, people would go, "No, you can't." You can't yeah, come okay. And have a route around our lives. Sure. Yeah. Who the hell are you? Fuck off. Whereas you've got, if you've got some sort of excuse of, well, I'm doing it for a show, they're like, yeah, all right. Okay. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm curious. These are things, you know, there's tons of things I'm curious about. And then you have this sort of, you have the excuse of, mm. well, it's for a show, it's for a show. Okay. When Where, did you first cotton onto that? When was the first time that you went, oh, if I say I'm doing a show, I can, you know, get involved? Well, it wasn't even cotton at all. I just, you know, as, as you sort of, you know, rise like... You know, in the business, like it's sort mm -hmm. of uh, some sort of very slow rising bread <laughs> over the space of 20 odd years, you know, people, you get a break, you get a chance and, you know, you go for it, you know. I mean, there's like sometimes there's things that I, I, I've done, which are, uh, you know, if it was only just to turn it into stand up, there's some things that I've done are, are so ludicrous that like they actually don't, they're no good for comedy. Okay. Like what? You know? Well, last year I got arrested. Um. Uh, at Area 51 in the Nevada desert. Uh, detained is technically what it is because when you don't get, you can't get arrested by the army. Okay. So the American Air Force um, commando unit detained me and the camera crew in the desert. And it, it's just such a ridiculous situation. Anytime I try to tell it on stage, one, it sounded like I was bragging. Sure. And number two... Because it's, it got, it's got to be rooted in, I was there to do a TV show. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it just sounded like oh, it was exaggeration. It was just when I tried to tell it on stage, it did. I told lots of other stuff about the U, the UFO. I was making a series for BBC Three called Conspiracy Road Trip, and one of the episodes is about aliens. Right now, we had just met the, and I have to say, the of all the conspiracists I've met, people who are into aliens are the nicest, okay, the funnest, <laughs> and from, weirdly, they they tend to have a very high proportion of tobacco addiction. Okay. People who are in aliens tend to smoke a lot. Why is that? Don't know. Abs they had no reason for it, but uh, we met one guy in Sedona, Arizona, who's full-on old hippie dude, and he said that the the aliens they're scared of tobacco smoke. So okay. If you're smoking cigarettes, they can actually abduct you. And these people that's, get, that's a very convenient thing to believe if you're yeah. also chemically addicted to nicotine. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But you know, this is a, is a thing that you know a lot of alien punters believe. You know. And they really do believe they they will be get kidnapped by space goblins or you know. Okay. So you no, but no, you so you've they, tried they, telling that stuff on stage. Yeah, yeah, no, particularly the actual arrests. You know, we we went there. We were, and uh, with the with, earlier in the day, Area Fifty One is deep, deep in the Nevada desert, mm -hmm. like proper in the fucking middle of nowhere, like past the desert. <laughs> there's there's even less than a desert. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, about a hundred miles north of Vegas. 
and we had just met earlier in the day. We were, you know, it's a week long journey. You're interviewing people, you're smashing back and forward with mm-hmm. the five conspiracists to run the bus with you, you know, to make an hour show, but you're, you're essentially on as it were. Sure. Talking to these people, cameras on for like, you know, all the waking day. Sure. At least 15 hours a day. You know, just, I mean, from, from, it's, it's just, you know, in case we'll see what the hell happens, you know? So. We had met a guy earlier in the day who's a very, in each conspiracy theory online, there's all sorts of leading lights, you know? People who make a lot of fucking money out of it. Whatever the theory is, they're, they're making money. They're selling books. They're signing autographs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, yourself. I mean, this the new technology stuff, you know, but you know, podcasts and the whole nine yards. Oh, I make a fortune out of yeah, this. I yeah, can <laughs> I can sell. I can sell. Uh, but this, this dude is, uh, Lear was his name. I forgot what his first name was. And he was, he maintained, he was former CIA. And uh, he's, a, he's an alien expert. We go to his house and, oh, fuck me. Some of the guff that he said, he told us that all human children, there's there's 18 billion people living on the moon. Okay. The moon uh, was invented in a factory inside Jupiter and is towed around the universe. Okay. In what he could only describe as very large space tractors. Okay. And I'm I'm like... This is on camera, just you're in somebody's house, you know, it's a certain amount of decorum, but I'm like, shut the fuck up, man. But I'm just like, yeah, interesting. And the people I'm with are like, hmm. And I, and he was, I was going, why? So how do you know this? Because, well, everybody knows that all human children are abducted at the age of three, seven, and 13 and taken to the moon. Uh, and I was like, why? For how long? At the time, you know, my daughter was three. Okay. You know, I didn't believe in it, but I was still like, "What? what you, well, I can tell you, my, my daughter's not going to the moon. Oh, no, it's, he goes, it's perfectly harmless and you'll know nothing of it. And then when the, your child is returned before dawn, they will have no memory of it. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of, but it, we got to, the, it was such an absurd conversation. Oh, there was all sorts of other stuff. They were in Vegas and he was saying that, that on, in the kitchens underneath the Bellagio, mm-hmm casino there is a, a secret door which leads to an underground railway that goes straight to area 51 right it's a hundred mile underground railway like fucking sure. elaborate sure know? okay you know what i mean so all this sort of carry on and we left and one of the lads benny who's from durham really sweet lad like just you know good lad like and he was going oh, God, i don't know what make that's all fucking crackers man <laughs> And he goes, but this is what you believe in. He goes, well, I, d- I don't know about that. But you generally believe it. Yeah. And with time, I mean, the whole point of conspiracy theories is they're, they're folklore. Yeah. You have to expand. But that's always been the way. But then online, you're in these message boards or in these chat rooms and da-da-da. If you want to get your voice heard, you've got to. It's almost like that. I went to the shops and I bought some apples. Went to the shops and bought some apples and pears. You yeah, know, sure. It okay. It gets expansive. It, it, stuff accretes over time and yeah, it becomes yeah, a bigger story. Yeah, it has an expansive okay. quality, yeah. And I was going, mate, that's your fucking, that's Christmas future, Benny. Mm-hmm. Right? So we, I got some of them to this point, right? And he, this guy's going, oh, the Area 51. He goes, everybody knows that the aliens... The Area 51 is a global alien prison. That's where the aliens are kept. And there's a big alien. And he gave it a name like Kung Tang or whatever. And that sounded a lot like Poon Tang, but whatever. <laughs> That's what came to mind. Anyway, uh, and he's and he was going, you know, that they're the president, the vice president, and the head of the armed forces, they get to meet them. 
And I was like, with respect, sir, you've never been any of those. How the fuck do you know? Sure. And he had no answer. He goes, I was warned about you. I've been warned. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, it just goes off in the silly. Okay. Again. So okay. we went, right, fuck it. We're going to Area 51. Let's do it. Okay. The bus driver was a lovely dude. It was just a local Mormon lad. It was just, this sums it up perfectly. John, the bus driver, we're driving out there. And he was telling me he's been out there loads of times. You know, it's a good, it's a good fare. You know, you're, a, you know, you know, you're a Vegas bus driver and you drive from basically London to Birmingham and back to look at it through a metal fence for an hour and then back, you know. So he goes, he wasn't my group, but he was going, he'd been out there with some other UFO punters. Okay. U, ufologists, okay. by the way. Ufologists yeah, right. is what they call themselves. And he goes, and he told me, John was saying, this guy goes, do you believe they're there, man? Do you? And John was like, no. He goes, well, if there's no aliens here, why do they deny it? <laughs> you know, okay. It okay. is that sort of... Yeah, sure. Now, listen, listen, I want to sort of pull you back to this because you're obviously a natural storyteller, right? This, we're, we're, I mean, this isn't really answering the question, which right. is... I, well, I forgot what the question that's was. That's fine. That's, that's clear. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> what is the and, question? Well, I was talking about how you... Uh, you were talking about trying that material on stage and not being able to get away with it because it's yeah, too weird. Yeah, the, so we, we were talking about the experiences that you have in your life and the fact that you tend to go towards unusual situations. Yeah. And what I'm interested in finding out is how you, how you do, how you do successfully translate an experience into a story on stage. And for, as much as I'm fascinated in this story, yeah, and I've yeah. seen that episode, yeah, yeah. so I know, I don't yeah, know yeah, a lot yeah. of this, but um, I, I want to... I want to kind of just rugby tackle you and stop you telling stories and find out how you tell stories. Right. If you well, see what there I mean. is, well, to be honest, what I noticed after doing that for a couple of years in my shows, the, now it's more sort of commentary, really, for the last couple of years, shorter bits, yeah. you know? Um, there was uh, there was various stories, the Belfast story, the prison story, you know, there's, you know, the various of them, there was, I agreed to do a gig at an orgy and there was, it was all of them. But it, what they all had in common was there has to be a certain amount of comeuppance. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, well, what, what, what do you mean? Someone... Well, well, basically the whole, the whole West Belfast project came out of, uh, I'd be making these tourism films in Dublin. Mm -hmm. I took the London media crew with me to this really cool bar in Belfast called the Duke of York. Right? Okay. So it's sort of, it's kind of an arty bar, I suppose you could kind of call it Belfast. And we had ended up drinking with this table next to us. We're all, again, sort of, you know, people in their thirties, they know, they were mates and all the rest of it. And my mom's sort of family are from the north, so I'm mm -hmm. perfectly happy with hanging out with northerners. You know, a lot of southerners are actually quite spooked by northerners, but not me. And they invited us to a, a party in, in an art gallery at the very bottom of the Falls Road. Right. We're going, okay, this isn't, we're not exactly in a, you know, a murder bar or anything like that. And, and, you know, eventually I asked them, what do you do? And they were all Sinn Fein. And they asked me to do a gig for them. And I said, I'd only do a gig for you. Sure. If, if you could, you if they'd arranged you to do another one as yeah. well. Yeah. And he said, done. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Like, I mean, I, I basically, I, I said it to him in the, you know, a polite way to fuck off. No, there's no way I'm doing a gig for one political fucking movement sure. in Northern Ireland. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Know? But it always has to be those sort of elements to it, you know? So when, when you say an element of comeuppance, do you mean, you mean comeuppance for you? 
There has to be an element in it in which it's you, you're the victim, you're the person that's made a mistake yeah, you've somehow. just, well, like, victim's too strong, but you know what I mean? That there's a narrative there, you know? You're Okay. Well, it's, you're, it's that narrative, it's that narrative that I want to talk about. So you're, like, I've always thought about your persona on stage as being like, almost like a gangster in the back of a bar. Do you know what I mean? You're, you are, <laughs> do you, I think that's fair. You know, you, you have a sense that you walk on and you go, I mean, in your show even, you were like, are you with me? And then no one answered you. Come on, are you with me? Yeah. Like, and you—you are like a, you know, it's an element of being a rabble rouser yeah. and an element of being someone who just seems like you know about the grittier, seamier side of life, and you want to tell us about it. Yeah, I mean that side of it. You know, I don't come from a criminal background myself. Um, <laughs> my my parents don't swear, and my dad plays the organ in church, all the rest of it. But I do come from a a, a very fucking hard part of Dublin. Sure, and it, it just. It, you know, loads of that stuff, you know, just nobbling horses and fucking stealing vans and just it, all yeah. of that sort of, you know, it was a kind of an Arthur Daly type neighborhood, you know? Yeah, what I mean? okay. So it's like all those sort of stories and knowing those kind of things are, are, are kind of conversational currency. Sure. They're, okay. They're so the, so they're how, the fun thing that men, you know, not just men, but people talk about in Dublin, you know, okay. on the north side. So how much, how much of that, how much of your persona on stage is the same as, you, the Andrew Maxwell, just sitting here. The only fucking difference is that if I feel like people have paid in to see me do a sta- hour stand-up, I feel an obligation. Like, a Jew, like it's not mm-hmm. an, an, a bad onus. I'm delighted to it, but to make sure it's fucking funny every 30 seconds. Sure. You know? If it's just interesting, that's not what the fuck okay. is on the poster. It's okay. A, it's, you know, I would, you know, in some ways, I'd like to do a show that was just interesting. But then it would be I'd I'd feel duty bound to put it in a spoken word section. Yes, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? But equally, you don't do you don't do the other extreme either, which is just like gag, 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 gag. It actually, it actually does have that interesting place. It does have that that position whereby you are like you're like taking us into your confidence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're going. Yeah, yeah. So here's this thing. Here's how I see the world. Here's this this story that happened. Yeah, yeah. And I just wonder how much was that? What you were always like as a comedian? Was it well, always, always a case a, of you? I was always like as a child. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, I mean, it's sort of, you know, I mean, my, my earliest forays in the show business were uh, when I was four, I used to do a leprechaun character called Shawnee McLaughlin, who <laughs> used to uh, sit at the top of the stairs during family dues and tax people if they wanted to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can well believe that. So that's like... That is not difficult been, to imagine you know, at all. Cash in hand, if you want to use the toilet, nobody, like, you know, proper top of the stairs. Four, I realised that, you know what I mean? A lot of elderly relatives were quite vulnerable at the top of the stairs. So this is Andrew, and as you'll have heard, he's got an approach to joke writing that would make most comics green with envy. Another great example of an act just following their instinct and making the rules up as they go along. And he's just so easy to get along with and so open. If you haven't seen him yet, you've got absolutely no excuse. A very quick hello to Neil Turton. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick blurb this time. We'll uh, we'll bash straight through this. But hello to Neil. He is a non-comedian listener, who di- my favourite, as you know, who discovered the show through a recent appearance I did on Carl Donnelly and Chris Martin's podcast, which you can find at soundcloud.com slash Carl and Chris. Do go give them a listen. I had a lot of fun on that, and they've got brilliant guests all over the place. Uh, no, no tedious process stuff like we're doing, uh, just people being funny. Um, Carl, you'll remember from an early episode of this show, uh, he's the uh, suede-hooved uh, waffler. And uh, Chris is a very funny and irritatingly telegenic man. So check that out. Uh, thanks to Neil for donating to the show. And of course, you can too. Uh, I want to thank all of you for your donations. I think I hit a chord the other week when I mentioned the ruinous costs of the live Edinburgh shows. Uh, I really 
really, truly appreciate you rallying around to support the show. I'm very moved, so thank you, everyone. Uh, for that. You can donate at comedianscomedian.com by hitting the donate button and entering any figure you like. Uh, I've had a couple of donations in the realm of £50 and then one for £51 and I thought it was people trying to one-up other listeners until I realised that obviously people have been very kindly giving me a pound per episode release so far. That is astonishingly generous and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I've also of course had some students donating fivers and apologising that it isn't more which is also brilliant. No need to apologise because of course the people who can afford it pay for the ones who can't. Uh, if you can't afford anything at all, you can still get in touch at info at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, request guests, tell me how you enjoy the show, just talk to me generally. It's uh, uh, great fun getting back to all my correspondence instead of bloody writing jokes for my new Edinburgh show. Uh, or you can get in touch by tweeting at comcompod. Do rate the show on iTunes if you haven't done already. I'd really appreciate that. Um, and I think that's sort of it for now. Let's get stuck back in. Let's return to Andrew Maxwell. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When did you yeah, first no. <laughs> take this personality of yours from, an, from, as you say, like a sort of the Irish Arthur Daly neighbourhood? Yeah. When did you first take that onto a stage? Uh, well, I was a class clown, like straight out. You, you do know. not surprise me at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was lucky because of the accident of my birth, being a Protestant in the north side of Dublin, which is extremely fucking rare. We only had one secondary school, which was extremely liberal. And uh, rather than my class clowneriness and smart arseness, if I, any of the other schools on the north side, if I had gone to, you know, mine was co-educational, still quite rare in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Most uh, working class boys on the north side are raised in mono, uh, mono sex fucking situations. A lot of extremely fucking closet case, sadistic homosexuals Mm -hmm. educating children very badly. Okay. Uh, you know what I mean? But being small, uh, and I'm not—I'm not fruit. I always say fruit because it's funnier. But I'm just quite fey, you know. I'm—I'm I'm not physically large. You sure. know what I mean? And I'm—I'm a, I'm a you are kind of impish, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would have—I would have been smashed the shit out of. I would have yeah. been beaten fuckless, like either by the teachers or or other students. But because I luckily got to go to school where they were nice, you know, my teachers were like, oh, "This fucker's funny." Okay, you know, so like, do you feel supported then in your? Cause, oh yeah, because it's quite was, it's quite an Irish sort of um, uh, a trope, isn't it? That you've got the you know they've got the gift of the gab, or you know that you can right. Well, gab is just Irish for gob, which is yeah. mouth. Yeah, it's just Osqualiga. That's what a mouth is. Is your gob? Sure. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's, yeah. So but it's weird the way in English there's that sort of thing of calling people with an Irish accent. He had an Irish brogue. Okay, because that's fucking shoe. 
That just means an accent. Yeah, I know, yeah. but it's weird that that's become, because it is another one, you know, other Irish word that's in English. You know? Oh, is it? Okay, you that's know? it, right. You know, okay. oh, you've got a lovely Irish brogue. It's more, it's sort of for an older generation of English people. It's another one that it sort of like gives me, it's one of those ones that gives me a warning sign. When somebody's been of an older generation who's English, but a bit polite, you know, if they ask you, where are you from in the Emerald Isle? Yeah, sure. You know, you're like, oh, you use colour, don't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not necessarily they're a bigot or anything, but it's just that, you know what I mean? Hmm, hello. And that's brogue fits into that. Sure. Thing. But it means shoe. How it became accent is... I'm going to I'm gonna ring a bell when you start getting off topic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Smashing's uh, another one, by the way. Go on. Smashing means smashing in Irish, but it's a, a smash in. Like it's... That's what it... You know what I mean? It's... ding a ling a ling a ling Okay. So what I'm trying to do is I want to get a sense of... Uh, who you were when you started comedy. Do you feel like you're the same comedian now as you were when you I started? I feel like I'm the exact same. Yeah. I don't feel there's, you know, I've but, learned technique, you know, and with time I've learned a lot more discipline over my life, you know. I, okay. I, I live a, a quite disciplined, largely sober life. Again, and that's... And that's, you were a bit of a, were you were a hellraiser as a comedian? the ultimate enfant terrible of this fucking festival. Like, I've, this, I, I did fucking uh, Fred McCauley's show earlier. And I'm the only person who's done Fred's show every year since he started doing it. Okay. And I could honestly say this was the first time this year that I've done it sober. Okay. And it's I'm, a morning I'm, show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. always just gone on the lash and then, ha ha! Ha ha, Fred! And all the old ladies in the crowd, which I always call coffin dodgers. Yeah. Or low-flying angels. That's <laughs> nice. Quite, which they love. They love being reminded well, of you are, you're imminent, in, you know, imminent mortality. <laughs> but you're incredibly charming and you're one of those people. And I tell you what, in comedy, but I I think, don't like the word charming because it's just, it's sort of a very backhanded compliment. I'm not saying that you're saying in that context, but there's a certain, you know what I mean? It's like the Chinese call, you know, charm is merely the smiling face of contempt. You know, there's something false about charm. You okay. know what I mean? You know, like... Well, what would you call it? Your ability to look at an old lady and call her a coffin dodger and make her laugh and fall in love with you. Whatever word you want to use for that. Well, I just feel like I'm alive. And, you know, and that's it. You know, you see, for me, charm suggests there's a vested interest in your interest in somebody else, you know? You charm them into a sale. To deceive them somehow, yeah. You know, like the ghastly fucking men that read books about how to fuck women. Like, you know, that's what's called the game or... ghastly so like i don't like to be in any way connected i mean i think you know in itself i think charm is a perfectly fucking decent word sure. but like it's it, it just but you feels do, but you like you do recognize you know what i mean it just feels like it's just, whatever the word you call it that you do recognize there's more to you than your jokes you oh, do yeah, recognize yeah, yeah, your yeah. personality is just so kind of attractive to people yeah but, but you can rock up way. hammered no yeah, well not yeah. in a randy way no but yeah, yeah. you can rock up hammered and make old women fall in love with well, you that, i don't mean that you're making them do that i mean there is something about you that means they would accept from you the sort of material because you've got a twinkle yeah. or whatever it is they'd accept from you the sort of material they would they might not accept from another yeah comic. and that's that's sort of whatever that is like is beyond me you know it's sure. not me or it is me but you know what i mean it's not of my making it's yes. just in me i yes. mean i was always the same like i haven't worked on that you know i've worked on stage technique the ability to write material briefer and you know work towards deadlines and all that sort of carry on but mm-hmm. like being able to do accents or just banter with punters it's just mm. you know um, it's, you know it's just been a natural glad hander you know my dad's a glad hander, glad hander without having the punchlines 
Yeah, okay. You know, you'll banter to any fucker. Like, like I, I just climbed Arthur's seat with my 12-year-old son and he didn't shut the fuck up all the way. Like, Where like Doctor fucking who all the way. <laughs> like, 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 God, they love Doctor Who. Okay, so listen. But you let's... know what I mean? So, so there's that, that side of it, you know? I, I, I don't know. Just at a very young age, I realised that we're all vulnerable and we're all going to die. And not in a morbid, gothy kind of way. It just seems self-evident to me. And, you know, so much of life is based around the suppression of that ultimate truth, mm-hmm. you know? People, well, there's people standing in society. People fucking believe that there's all, all these things matter, but they, they don't mean fuck all. And I was just really little when I realized that. Mm. You know, it just occurred to me, like, I have two foster brothers. Well, I had three. Um but uh, AB, who I think you met out in the mountains, my little brother. Yes, big, I think I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously I introduced him as my brother and people are like, well, fuck, how's this big lump anyway genetically connected to you? But there was one either side of me. Uh, Johnny, Johnny's a year older than AB. Uh, Andrew, it makes it all more confusing, is uh, a year younger than me. And but in quick order, both their parents uh, died of cancer in mm. really quick order when we were kids. And they were raised with us. And it was just sort of, just rather than making me feel, you know, obviously there was the sadness of their passing, but like just, it, I felt kind of liberated by it. Of just this is everything's so fucking fleeting, you know. This it's just one vulnerable moment past the next. That's yeah. all our lives. And if you can, and w- when you feel that, you just feel a little bit more liberated. You, you know, I think punters will will let me away with stuff because I, I I won't talk about something unless I actually know quite a bit about it. Yeah. So if I'm ripping into you for believing in this, I, I have thought about it. You know what I mean? It's sort of like nobody, when I moved to England, I used to work in a, a, a supermarket. You know, I used to work at a Tesco's in Essex and fuckers used to always tell me paddy jokes. Yeah. Where the punchline everyone is that the Irishman is congenitally fucking retarded. Right? Whereas, you know, which isn't true. Irish people are not congenitally retarded. We're congenitically vague and sneaky. <laughs> That's a different fucking thing, you know? Uh, and I, I always was offended by that. But I've seen loads of comedians over the years do routines about Irish people. And, you know, it's, uh, in brackets, offensive. But it's great because it's on the nose. It's true. You know, people will let you say anything to them as long as they feel there's, there's a kernel of truth there. Okay. You know, so okay. that's how you be, you know, that's, that's where the trust that's is. That's interesting because there is, and it I does... also want nothing from anybody. Like there's nothing I want. Like, I, I earn money, but it all goes to me, either my family or the fucking tax man. My, my idea of fun is smoking a joint out of a window. Uh, <laughs> then I watch telly, you know, I read secondhand books, you know, I don't, you know, I like having a swim. You know, so I don't, I mean, I often feel like it's sort of a failing in my career, but I don't have it in me, you know? A what, lot of what, what, mo- what don't you have in you? What do you Well, mean? a lot of the most successful comedians are just burning on the inside. They have a void that must be filled with the magic word success. But they can never fucking get there because there, there isn't an arena in the world big enough to fill the empty fucking hole in some of these men's souls, you know? Maybe they were molested. Maybe they didn't know their dad. I don't fucking know. Whatever, you know, maybe they didn't have, I, I grew, I grew up happy. I still got on great with my family. I, I had a happy upbringing. So although I have a talent, I don't have that. Rah! I mean, hey, if you, if a promoter goes to me here, listen, in this city, we think we can sell this room. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Let's go. 
bigger the better. Let's go as big as we think we can sell. But sure. that's nothing to do with me. That's, that's just, fascinating. That's so refreshing to hear someone approach it from but that I, angle. I, yeah. Like, I'm not fucking bothered. Hey, listen, you know, like I said, you know, here's hoping Thursday night, hopefully there'll be a decent number in the tent mm. tonight, you know. But whatever the fuck's so, in the room, it's like, you know, you, you, were, you, were, you were slightly apologetic because there's going to be a small crowd in here. I couldn't give a fuck. Like, in the healthiest sense of the word, you know. Yeah. Would this, the quality of, our, of these moments together still be improved or lessened by it being full or not? Sure. You know, it's yeah. a, you know what I mean? So how, so how hard do I you like work? I like laughter. I just like the sound of it. Yeah. It sounds fucking great. <laughs> and so many times you, you, you wonder in life, what is the point? What am I adding to life? What am I bringing to this? And it's so fucking fleeting. You know, so with, with that, so brief. With that in mind. Things, you know what I'm talking about, Stu. Sometimes you get a massive fucking laugh. Yeah. On stage. And the best ones are where it's something you had actually thought about or had a gag about. Somebody's heckled you. You hadn't planned to put that in the set. Somebody's heckled you. And next thing, this fucking sweet ball has come straight into the box. And you volleyed the fucker right into the back end of that. Everybody thinks you're a fucking genius. You're laughing at their laughter. And inside you're going, <laughs> oh, I just fucking totally tricked it out there. <laughs> so you're getting two funds for one fun. So let's talk yeah, about yeah, I mean, how hard you work. How hard do you work? Because because it seems to me like, and it, that, I I say again that it's such a refreshing thing to hear that you are happy with the level that you're at and that you're enjoying doing what oh, you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you're, you know, you know like, you're happy to work hard, you know, to, in terms of performance and stuff. But you're not striving towards some idea that there's something better, further away well, than actually making there people laugh. You know, but, I mean, so, there's that maximalism yeah, that is in our society of, you know. Why do tits have to just keep getting bigger and bigger? You know, it's just, w when's the third tit going to be added? You know, cars get bitter houses. Everything's just, you know, it's not. Okay, I understand. I understand I mean? that. But I want to I bring it back specifically to the writing, to the creation of material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, how hard do you work writing your not shows? Okay. <laughs> I know. I don't feel tortured in the fucking slightest. Okay, but do you do you sit down and write out any of your material, or are you just oh, used yeah, to saying stuff? I, on... I have like a sheet of A4 that I will consult just before I go on stage tonight. Okay. Yeah? That I, I, I work with Paul Byrne, who's um, Ed Byrne's younger brother, and he directs a lot of shows. And mm -hmm. um, he's sort of like my little brother as well. And um, Paul's not here because he's got lymphoma. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right. The first day of the festival, I'm driving up. And um, we've worked really closely on these shows together for years. Like, they're essentially a, a conversation between the two of us on a topic. And obviously, he's not on stage and the audience don't know that. Sure. But that's how he's, we... He's also really, f uh, in a fun way, very argumentative. Yeah, so yeah. So probably or a good he, person he, for pulling he's those... Good, uh, he's good at just sort of... He, Paul's good at just going, well, if you're saying that there, what are you saying? Yeah. You know? Whereas, to, to my mind, because I don't... Really desiring to change the audience's opinion, I'm just saying is all right, but that's deeply counter is de deeply anti-intellectual. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know, if we can make it a little bit, have a little bit more intellectual co coherence, good. That adds a little bit of value to the show. It just adds something to it, and that's what Paul brings to it. And then Paul, you know, he had the test. He's a lump on his fucking neck. He, he also lives in my house. My children call him the house cat. <laughs> he's uh, he's my children's kind of unky and you know and I've been Adam you know he's got a bird now he's got a really nice bird actually um, and and uh, 
but he, I saw the lump on his neck and I, you know, I was nagging him and he got tested and da da da. Long story short, mm. this Wednesday, the opening night of the festival, it turns out he's, he's got lymphoma. So mm. he's back down in London. So we've been sort of working on the show on Skype, but it's a conversation about where the, where's that go? And are you are you keeping notes throughout the year to then take on stage and talk well, the, about, the, or the do you just talk about like whatever's in, on your in mind? In my iPhone, before it used to be a piece of paper and a pen, right? Uh, from the time I started working with Paul, which is about ten years ago, right? I'd done stand up for ten years and I'd never taken a single note. I would just go on stage and what I remembered from the last time, I'd try and say again, and the rest of it would just be fuck around with the people in the room. That if there's it. if there's new comics listening to this, and I know some do listen to the podcast, um, not everyone can just do this. <laughs> I mean, I think out of almost everyone, this is maybe 60 or 65 interviews I've done now. That's very, very unusual to hear someone go, I oh, just sort of walk on a busket. Yeah, well, you know, I'd still remember. That. Were you, like, were you remember aware that other... good bits from the, you were... know, I wouldn't... It's not like, you know, I just yeah, try sure. and, but it was, sure. it was all in me. Now, were you, were you aware that around you, other comedians, your contemporaries were working harder than that or writing harder than oh, that? Oh, way trying, more. Or yeah, meeting and, fuck you yeah. Know. Yo, God, yeah. And did, I mean, did part of you think, oh, I should maybe work a bit harder? Not really, no. <laughs> I, I can't explain it, you know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of my, my career has been a case of, of friends of mine just going roaring past me, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, and, and how does that feel? Are you okay with that? I think, I think the, the number one thing in life, I think for anybody, I think it could be expanded to anybody, but particularly if you're in show business and I can only speak specifically for stand up, you've got to have a way of being graceful. Yeah. You've got to have a way of allowing people around you to be successful and enjoy that for them. Yeah. Cause fuck it snakes and ladders for fuck's sake you know and it's a 40 year run you know if you know i start when i was 16 17 like with with luck inshallah i shall still be doing this in my in my 50s mm. you know and along that time some people will you know like we're, me and my boy were off to see um uh world's end tomorrow during the day yeah. like i've known simon and nick since we were like in our early 20s like Hmm. You know, Nick was just this fat waiter who was a mate of Simon's and I used to just get stoned with him and he was just this really funny dude. He used to make up little voices about, yeah, there, was, there was German squirrels at the end of the garden and he just, <laughs> just Nick would just make up this life of the German squirrels at the end of the garden while we were baked, you know. And then next thing's a fucking movie star, you know what I mean? And and it's it's astonishing, but it's cool. You know, it's not a bad thing. I'm in two famous comedians' autobiographies. I mean, a brief mention, but like, who gives a fuck? That's a great <laughs> thing. You, you know what I mean? I mean, there's loads of people. Me and Ed, my first year in the festival when I was 20, me and Ed and another Irish comedian, Ed Byrne, uh, Kevin Hayes, another Irish guy, we did a, a combination show. Mm -hmm. I was 20, Ed was 21. And Ed got all the girls and became the superstar. And, uh, you know, I got some of the girls and just kept enjoying my life. You know, I mean, you know, with time, you know. I, I am confident that the listenership of this show are going to play this uh, conversation to themselves. They're going to save it for when they've had a bad gig and they're driving home afterwards because oh, it's so optimistic. Oh, yeah, but like a bad gig's a bad gig. Don't get me wrong. I'm sensitive to it. You know, I want the audience to enjoy enjoy it and enjoy me and all the rest of it. And for whatever reason, that doesn't come off. Like I did a late show here a couple of nights ago and it was... the. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.